As we continue worshiping together this morning, join me in your Bibles or Bible apps as we first hear these words from the 100th Psalm. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Now, receive these selected verses from the letter of James, taken from the third chapter and beginning with the fifth verse. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. But no one can tame the tongue a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives? Or a grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Let's all pray together. Loving God, we do praise your holy name for you continue to bring us a new morning every day. You continue to bring us through the days that stretch out without a clear end point of this pandemic and of this strange time and season. But we know that you are with us and we give you thanks. And I pray now, O oh God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart might be acceptable to you and you alone, for you, O oh God, are my strength and our salvation. Amen. Water is absolutely necessary for life. Many of you will know that the human body is up to 60% water. Water in all its forms are absolutely essential to all of life. Water can also, of course, 
be dangerous and destructive. Storms and floods, undercurrents, and crashing waves can do great damage. Anyone who's been responsible for maintaining any kind of building, whether that's your home or an office or a church, has learned, I'm not gonna say has likely learned, I'm gonna say has learned that water can be one of the most persistent and challenging issues to deal with. In both my home and here at Foundry, I'm constantly, and I do mean constantly, reminded that water that is not carefully contained or directed will flow any and everywhere. And that the water spot right above my bed does not necessarily identify where the water has breached the roof above. You know what I'm talking about? Because water will find a way in somewhere, but then it'll just trickle through, it'll find its way, it'll tentacle out into wherever it wants to go until it finds a low place and then it seeps in, right? And when it does that, what happens? Water rots things. It rots things. It molds things, and I don't mean like an artist who's molding a sculpture. I'm talking it turns into nasty mold. It rusts things. It erodes things. Words are like that. Today we're given our every three years reminder from the lectionary and the epistle of James that our words can do serious damage. And I don't know if you were paying attention, but James is not messing around. Words and language, of course, are beautiful gifts. They provide ways for us to connect and to communicate the deepest feelings, thoughts, dreams, passion, hope, ideas of our lives. I imagine that most of us could easily remember a moment when certain words were shared with you that encouraged or comforted or affirmed or inspired you. I remember once when I was feeling really discouraged at a former congregation and a lay member of the congregation, a lay leader, sent me a message with a bullet-pointed list of all of the things that he identified that I had been able to contribute to or make a difference in or accomplish. I'll never forget that. It was exactly what I needed. I kept the list. Words of poetry and prayers and scripture feed my spirit every day. My father was a man of very few words. I've kept every scrap of paper on which he wrote any message to me at all. 
Words can be profoundly life-giving and sustaining. But words can also do great damage. Like water, words that flow into places where there aren't good boundaries will just keep flowing, affecting everything and everyone they touch. And hurtful words do damage. Thoughtless slander or careless conjecture or cruel teasing or hateful speech. These things hurt feelings. They wound relationships. They erode a person's confidence or trust or peace or certainly their joy. I imagine all of us can think of words spoken to us or about us that have left deep scars on our hearts or our spirits. The hurtful words are so hard to shake. I found over the years that along with small towns like the one that I grew up in, office buildings, office you know, settings, and churches are super skilled at being set ablaze by a small fire. The small fire of gossip might be what someone thinks is a benign snippet of hearsay, or it might be a story shared for the purposes of venting or expressing disdain or judgment. But fire, like water, even a little bit, will spread and flow unless it is properly managed and contained. And I don't know what it is about us humans, but oh my goodness, do we love a juicy little tidbit that's been shared with us. We just can't help ourselves. It is so yummy. We just think we gotta go around and share it with everybody else. Oh my goodness. Mm. Give it to me. But you know, it's better to put that tasty little morsel in a sealed doggy bag and take it home and put it in the fridge until you've forgotten it's in there and let it sit there a while while other things get shoved in front of it and all of a sudden you're cleaning out the fridge and you're like, oh, there's that thing. And you take it out and you're like, oh, right, I didn't need this in the first place. It's not nourishing. As a matter of fact, at this point, I realize it's garbage. And we throw it out. In other words, better to seal it to zip it, to contain it. We don't need to share it. These days, most of us will know about triangulation, that dynamic where two persons are in conflict, at least two persons in conflict, and one or both of them try to draw in a third person to gain personal validation or support for their cause. Now, this is a very natural human thing to do. It also creates very fertile ground for talking smack about the other person. And if you've ever, ever been invited to one of these little gatherings, 
If you've ever gathered around the fire and chosen to chime in or pile on, you have, to use the metaphor we're working with right now, added fuel to the fire. You have made it bigger and more destructive. And not just to the person who may be the person of conversation, but you have done damage to the whole community. Fires, you see, destroy things and hurt people. I find anyone involved in leadership for human community really needs skills in this kind of firefighting, because it happens no matter what kind of human community you're in. There are, of course, appropriate ways and places to share concerns and to work through conflict. Because we know there's gonna be conflict. Anytime you've got a bunch of humans together, we're not always gonna get along. We're gonna hurt each other. And we need to know that there are ways that we can appropriately care for the hurt, for the conflict, and work our way through it. It's not, you see, that we're supposed to pretend that there aren't tensions or to ignore hurtful behavior. Rather, the question is, where do we take our concern and what kind of words do we use in communicating it? The call and the challenge, of course, is to try to be more like Jesus in the midst of conflict, which means at its most base level, that you're not out to get people, that you don't seek to hurt someone or to turn some people against other people or to trample on the dignity or the heart of someone. It means that the goal is not to win, but to seek mending and reconciliation. Sometimes, of course, reconciliation won't be possible for any number of reasons. It won't be possible, often, sometimes maybe not safe. And setting boundaries then is, of course, even more critically important. But regardless of what the larger context is, we can always choose whether, how, and to whom we speak about it. I don't think the message from James is about just being nice. <laughs> he wasn't necessarily using nice language to describe the problem. But I think what it really is about is the deeper issue of how what we say can create or destroy things. Those who study linguistics help us understand that words are both descriptive, they describe a thing, and they are formative. Words create things. In our own scriptural tradition, we have the story of God speaking creation into being. The word made the thing. You see, words create realities. They create realities. Certain words evoke certain kinds of responses. If someone says a certain word to you with a certain kind of energy, it is going to evoke a thing in you. If someone says a different kind of word, let's say the opposite kind of word with an opposite kind of energy, whatever you imagine that might be, it's gonna make something else, something different come up in you. Words create realities. And not just feelings or thoughts, but 
get this, get this. If, hmm, well, I'm jumping ahead. I got ahead of myself. <clears throat> words create realities and words are carrying me into a new space. What I wanna, what I wanna make sure, what I wanna make sure that we're clear about is that the energy and the word itself will bring about and form something in a person so that if you have a child who is constantly surrounded by or the recipient of belittling, bruising words, that will literally shape that child's thinking, that child's language, that child's life. For good or for ill, it can happen either way. Our words are powerful. And again, James is clear. The human tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison with it. We bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. And in our society, and quite frankly, in so many churches that gather on Sunday and bless the Lord, all sorts of derogatory, dehumanizing words get applied to people. Sometimes certain people, oftentimes whole groups. And when that, using certain words about certain people or groups becomes normalized over time, it's, it's not only used but allowed and even encouraged to use such language and to allow it to land upon the bodies and lives of human beings, then it becomes much easier, you see, to allow injustice or violence to land upon those same bodies because if a person is repeatedly spoken of not as a person, but as an enemy, an animal, a criminal, a disease, or a sin, then eventually those who have been receiving that message and hearing those words applied to those people from the person in the pulpit that they're looking to as some kind of spiritual guide. And if they don't know better after hearing that from the time that they're teeny weeny until they're grown up, what would keep them from believing that's true? And if they believe that's true, what do you think they're going to do? Words create Realities, words have power. We bless or curse, we honor or exclude, we build up or tear down, we create or destroy with the words we speak. And this is why we labor at Foundry to take care with our language. It's not, it really is not just about being so-called politically correct, though, by the way, there's nothing wrong with being politically correct, as my understanding of that phrase is that we're simply trying to be kind and honor our neighbor. It's not just about being politically correct, being careful with our language. It's not just about trying to prove that we're woke or that we are virtue signaling so everybody can see how good we are. 
We take care with our language at Foundry because we are, are trying to be humble before God and loving to our neighbor. And so we try to use a mix of images and metaphors and genders for God so as not to put God in a box or to presume one thing can describe the beauty and the transcendent being of our creator. We seek to dismantle certain patriarchal words like kingdom so that the word we use, kindom, might evoke a love-infused, dynamic, communal vision for creation instead of any negative baggage from historical experiences of kings and kingdoms. Our staff clearly identify our preferred pronouns as a way both to share ourselves, she, her, hers, and to practice radical hospitality by acknowledging and honoring the diversities of gender identities among us. In worship, we invite rising instead of standing and we receive instead of hear what the Spirit is saying in order to honor the physical abilities of all persons. There's so much I could say about any of these things, but I simply want to emphasize that we at least try to use language that blesses, that builds up, and that honors all the members of the Foundry family. As we seek to practice radical hospitality and create beloved community, our care with language is so important. Our Foundry family is comprised of persons, as I trust many of you know, we're comprised of a beautiful diversity of cultures and ethnicities and races and gender identities and sexual orientations. We're coming from all over the place in all sorts of ways. This creates opportunities to expand our awareness and our understanding and our appreciation of human experience. It also creates opportunities to step in it and do harm. There have been times, literally just this morning, as a matter of fact, when I have stumbled over a colleague's preferred pronouns. There have been times when I have started to say something, and as soon as it started coming out of my mouth, has this ever happened to you? I wanted to like pull it back in because I realized that what I was saying in the moment literally was dripping with race or class privilege in a way that was unhelpful or hurtful. And you know, these things happen when we are in the process of trying when we are trying to learn and to grow together in community. The point, you see, is not that we're expected to understand fully or to master new ways of speaking and engaging immediately or without practice. The point is that we are invited to practice, to be thoughtful and respectful and curious and humble, to take a pause 
in the presence of those whose lives reflect back to us new ways of perceiving and experiencing life. You have thoughts and feelings and opinions and experiences of your own which are beautiful and valid and honored. And what if you brought those things into conversations with others in true open-hearted curiosity instead of making any assumptions or pronouncements that whether you mean to or not may very well belittle or disrespect a sibling's lived reality. Our world is full of harmful words, dehumanizing words, belittling, bullying, disrespectful words. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. And I continue to pray that Boundary will seek to be a community that's different, <laughs> at least trying. That when we engage in relationship and conversation and dialogue with one another, we will practice with one another a different economy of speech. What if we intentionally tried to let all our words be measured and fair and shared in appropriate ways and places, and when we blow up, <laughs> to trust that there's gonna be some grace coming our way? What if we tried to take a breath and take thought before speaking, especially before speaking about someone, and to only speak about someone if you absolutely must and in the right place? What if we intentionally tried to engage, how about this for a notion, in direct conversation with a person that we may have an issue or, or a conflict with? That's hard, right? It's also healthy, and it honors the dignity of the other person. What if we listen more and speak less in spaces where others challenge what's familiar or comfortable for us, and enter into that conversation with humility and curiosity? And when we speak words that hurt, because we inevitably will, what if we're willing to ask for forgiveness? And when words have hurt us, be willing to extend grace. Today our psalm calls us to make a joyful noise unto the Lord and my guess is that it is not just our praise and our gratitude and our love for God that is a joyful noise unto the Lord. My guess and my assumption is that God hears all kinds of noise, lots of noise, noise that is not necessarily joyful but actually is really ugly and hurtful and just noise that's doing damage all over the world. Disruptive words, attacking words, divisive words, the, the noise that rises out of destruction and denial and the babble of hubris and thoughtlessness and self-righteousness. I imagine that noise like that gets flung up into the heavenly places all the time. God hears, receives, a lot of noise. 
but the, the words that we are invited to share, the noise that we are invited to make is a joyful noise unto God. What is that? What is it that we can lift to God that will make God happy? We are invited to speak words of love, words that build up, words that forgive, words that extend grace, words that are humble and curious and want to know more about your experience, not just to tell you what's real because it's my experience. These are the kinds of words that will land in the heavenly places and give God joy, and not just because we wanna make God happy, but because God wants us to be happy and has shown us how to do it. Knowing that we won't always get it right today, let's joyfully give thanks to God and bless God's name because God's mercy and God's love are steadfast, enduring forever. Thanks be to God. (laughs) 